Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is February 27, 2020, and it's Thursday. <laughs> Still not Friday yet. And, you know, yesterday uh, we had a bunch of rubbish flying around, really bad news cycle. No one's talking about anything when so much is happening. So we'll cover that today. Uh, we'll talk about what's going on in Europe, what's going on uh, in uh, Syria, between Russia and Turkey, what's going on in Greece with the with Turkey, uh, because, you know, a lot of people didn't realize that the United States just had a massive drill uh, with the Greek armed forces to demonstrate their defense. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about what's coming now in March, which is pretty exciting. Uh, on that note, I just wanted to say I'm really hoping that my subscribers are liking the content. Um, uh, the Project Helm episode, not a lot of people know about that project. It hasn't been talked about. I mean, you can Google it. You'll probably find absolutely nothing on it. Uh, it is uh, one of the best kept secrets. Uh, I know a lot of people know things about the supposed Jade Helm, etc. And we had a lot of that going on with the mass coffins. But um, that's, you know, the names that you know aren't really the names sometimes, just saying. So, uh, you know where I want to kick it off? I want to kick it off with this, uh, you know, flu. You know, I was really glad to hear the president uh, do a couple things during his um, announcement where he addressed it. Um but I want to remind everyone, there are two CDCs, right? Two, right? Two. One that is the CDC that works with the Department of Health and Human Services, and one that is a nonprofit, still goes by the name CDC, still a .gov, believe it or not, but it was actually enacted by Congress. It's literally controlled and owned by the House. Are you getting this? Hence the money issue going into a black hole. Uh, and again, like I've said, don't take my word for anything. Look it up yourself. Uh, so that's number one when we're talking money and application of persons. Because what we saw is Pelosi freaking out that he had fired five key individuals who are these five key individuals? Ah, no one asked that question, of course. Well, Speaker Pelosi, what five individuals are you referring to? He, yeah, he's like super bad. We're all going to get the flu. <laughs> flu. Where in 2018, we had 80,000 deaths. And in 2019, we had 36,000 deaths. Because like it or not, if you get the flu and you are compromised, meaning you're an elderly person, you have, uh, you know, issues, uh, pulmonary issues, you're going to be the first one that gets really, 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 really sick. And it gets really, 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 really bad quickly, especially if it's misdiagnosis and pneumonia or anything else. And, you know, doctors go down a d different rabbit hole and they're you are getting worse. Now, it's a flu. It is a flu, just like bird flu, just like swine flu, just like Ebola, just like Zika. 
I mean, they terrorize people into going to get vaccinated and or to tank markets. And Yahoo has been glorious enough to have a live streaming of the market. Huh? It's going to bounce back because this is rubbish. Now, there are a lot of people that are saying, oh, he's going to own this, that he didn't take it seriously. Actually, actually, he did. Because he said, you know what? Point man on this is a vice president. Are you saying the vice president's not good enough to take control of this? Are you saying that the head of the health and human services isn't good enough to take control of this? Are you saying them coordinating with the CDC is not good enough so the president has to do this on top? So he already gave point to Pence. He's like, listen, got questions? He's dealing with it. Got questions? CDC. Got questions? Health and human services. I mean, why do you need President Trump in the middle of this? Why do you need him spearheading it? I'm sorry. Me no understand. You appoint the people that are able to conduct the studies and Vice President Pence has the right to give orders, obviously, under the purview of the president. And that's it. That is all we should care about right now. Everyone is causing a panic. We've got the media panic. The Democrats panic. China is causing panic, not because of how they're addressing or what they're doing, but because they're not saying anything. And you know what terrifies people more when you're silent and they know it. And so they're feeding off of it. And (laughs) I would do the same if I was the Chinese in the position they are right now. Now, I want to play for you uh, President Trump's press conference in respects to the coronavirus. Take a listen. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you very much. Before I begin, I'd like to extend my deepest condolences to the victims and families in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Earlier today, a wicked murderer opened fire at a Molson Coors Brewing Company plant, taking the lives of five people. A number of people were wounded, some badly wounded. Our hearts break for them and their loved ones. We send our condolences. We'll be with them. And it's a terrible thing. Terrible thing. So our hearts go out to the people of Wisconsin and to the families. Thank you very much. Uh, I've just received another briefing from a great group of talented people on the virus that is going around to various parts of the world. We have, through some very good early decisions, decisions that were actually ridiculed at the beginning, we closed up our borders to flights coming in from certain areas, uh, areas that were hit by the coronavirus and hit pretty hard. And we did it very early. A lot of people thought we shouldn't have done it that early, and we did, and it turned out to be a very good thing. And the number one priority from our standpoint is the health and safety of the American people. And that's the way I viewed it when I made that decision. Because of all we've done, the risk to the American people remains very low. And we have the greatest experts in the world, really in the world, right here. The people that are called upon by other countries when things like this happen. We, uh, we're ready to adapt and we're ready to do whatever we have to as the disease spreads, if it spreads. Uh, as most of you know, the uh, the level that we've had in our country is very low, and those people are getting better, or we think that in 
almost all cases, they're, the better we're getting. We have a total of 15. We took in some from Japan. You heard about that because they're American citizens and they're in quarantine. Uh, and uh, they're getting better, too. But we felt we had an obligation to do that. It could have been as many as 42. And uh, we found that we were — it was just an obligation we felt that we had. We could have left them, and that would have been very bad, very bad, I think, American people. And uh, they're recovering. Of the 15 people, the original 15, as I call them, uh, eight of them have returned to their homes, to stay in their homes until fully recovered. One is in the hospital, and five have fully recovered. And uh, one is, uh, we think, in pretty good shape. And it's uh, in between hospital and going home. So we have a total of, uh, but we have a total of 15 people, and uh, they're in a process of recovering, with some already having fully recovered. Uh, we started out by uh, looking at certain things. We've been working with uh, the Hill very, very carefully, very strongly. And I think we have very good bipartisan spirit for money. We were asking for $2.5 billion, and we think that's uh, a lot. But uh, the Democrats and, I guess, Senator Schumer wants us to have much more than that. And normally in life, I'd say, we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, if they want to give more, we'll do more. We're going to spend whatever's appropriate. Hopefully, we're not going to have to spend so much, because we really think we've done a great job in keeping it down to a minimum. Uh, and again, uh, uh, we've had tremendous success, tremendous success beyond what people would have thought. Now, at the same time, you do have some outbreaks in some countries, Italy and Various countries are having some difficulty. China, you know about where it started. Uh, I spoke with President Xi. We had a great talk. He's working very hard, I have to say. He's working very, very hard. And uh, if you can count on the reports coming out of China, that spread has gone down quite a bit. Uh, the infection seems to have gone down over the last two days. As opposed to getting larger, it's actually gotten smaller in one instance where we think uh, we can be — it's somewhat reliable. It seems to have gotten quite a bit smaller. Uh, with respect to the money that's uh, being negotiated, uh, they can do whatever they want. I mean, they can — we'll do the two and a half. We're requesting two and a half. Uh, some Republicans would like us to get four, and some Democrats would like us to get eight and a half. And we'll be satisfied, whatever whatever it is. We're bringing in a specialist, very highly regarded specialist, uh, tomorrow, who works actually at the State Department. Very, very uh, tremendously talented in doing this. I want you to understand something that shocked me when I saw it, that uh, I spoke with uh, Dr. Fauci on this, and I was really uh, amazed. And I think most people are amazed to hear it. Uh, the flu in our country kills from 25,000 people to 69,000 people a year. That was shocking to me. And uh, so far, if you look at what we have with the 15 people, and they're recovering. One is uh, one is uh, pretty sick, but uh, hopefully will recover. But the others are in great shape. But think of that, 25,000 to 69,000. Over the last 10 years, we've lost 
360,000. These are people that have died from the flu, from what we call the flu. Hey, did you get your flu shot? And uh, that's something. Now, what we've done is we've stopped non-U.S. citizens from coming into America from China. That was done very early on. We're screening people, and we have been at a very high level, screening people coming into the country from infected areas. We have in quarantine those infected and those at risk. We have a lot of great quarantine facilities. We're rapidly developing a vaccine, and they can speak to you. The professionals can speak to you about that. Uh, the vaccine is coming along well, and in speaking to the doctors, we think this is something that we can develop fairly rapidly, a vaccine for the future, and coordinate with the support of our partners. We have great relationships with all of the countries that we're talking about. Some uh, it's fairly large number of countries. Some it's one person, and uh, many countries have no problem whatsoever. And we'll see what happens. But we're very, very ready for this, for anything, whether it's going to be a uh, breakout of larger proportions or whether or not we're, uh, you know, we're at that very low level. And uh, we want to keep it that way. So we're at the low level. As they get better, we take them off the list so that we're going to be pretty soon at only five people. And we could be at just one or two people over the next short period of time. I just wanted to say... Um, there are many nations across the planet right now that have coronavirus victims, but they're treating it as a flu because it's no big deal. And in Greece, they had one person that came in from Italy that was not Greek. Actually, they were a migrant. Turned out they had coronavirus. But the other Greeks that they reported turned out to have what they call the flu. Um, that may be a corona type virus flu because there are a lot of flu strains that are corona viruses which means it's the shape of the virus but you know whatever we digress so here he is allowing them to get some response for their politicizing uh, a flu and that's what's interesting he's like up oh, they're making a vaccine i mean we could just go to bill gates he he was researching the vaccine in 2017 wasn't he according to the patent he patented a vaccine for <laughs> for that virus but again i digress so here he is telling him all right you want to make this a big deal let's talk about this big deal we're ready. We're working on a vaccine. We ain't got sick people. People get the flu. All right, let's move it along. You know, that's basically it. Here's the specialist. Here they're talking, and that's pretty much it. And so now, here we have President Trump answering questions. Let's put him on. As far as this coronavirus is concerned, you have a great scientific and uh, medical team behind you and with you, and I'm sure they will keep America safe. As far as uh, your trip to India, Mr. President, uh, where do we go from here as far as U.S.-India relations are concerned? And also, Mr. President, you are very famous in India, and Prime Minister Modi is very famous in America. What is the future? And Indian-American community is with you, Mr. President. Yeah, we won't talk too much about that other than I, did, I just got back. Long flight. It's a long flight. Uh, he's a great gentleman, a great leader. It's an incredible country. Uh, we were treated very, very well, and uh, we were really enjoyed. 
But a lot of tremendous progress was made in terms of relationship. Our relationship with India is extraordinary right now. And we're going to be doing a lot of business with India. They're sending billions and billions of dollars now to the United States. But we'd rather talk about this right now. Said yesterday that they believe it's inevitable that the virus will spread in the United States, and it's not a question of if, but when. Do you agree with that assessment? No, I don't think it's inevitable. It probably will. It possibly will. It could be at a very small level, or it could be at a larger level. What, whatever happens, we're totally prepared. We have the best people in the world. Uh, you see that from the study. Uh, we have the best prepared people, the best people in the world. Uh, Congress is willing to give us much more than we're even asking for. That's nice for a change. Uh, but we are uh, totally ready, willing, and able. It's a term that we use. It's ready, willing, and able. We have, we have, uh, it's going to be very well under control. Now, it may get bigger, it may get a little bigger, it may not get bigger at all. We'll see what happens. But regardless of what happens, we're totally prepared. Please. You talked a little earlier about uh, the screening measures that you put in place and the travel restrictions you put in place regarding China. At this point, as the virus spreads in Italy and South Korea, are you planning on adding those countries? Well, just to so understand, you know, I'm the president of the United States. I'm not the president of other countries. Uh, other countries, some are on the list that are very respected in what they do in terms of what we're talking about. But I really want to be responsible for this country if it means placing very strong, uh, a very strong situation on the border so people can't come into our country from a country that is infected. That's, we're doing that, and we've already done it with numerous countries. Uh, but we have to focus on this country. I don't think it's right to impose ourselves on others. But if others aren't taking care or we think they're doing it incorrectly, you know, we, we're dealing with world health and we have terrific people. And CDC does go around and help other countries give them recommendations as what to do. But they're working on their countries, and we're working on our countries. And so far, from our standpoint, it's really worked out very well. Now, before we go to the next question, here's where I'm going to forecast, okay? We're talking September time, flu season, September, October, right before the elections, where people run to go get vaccinated, you're going to see a spike in coronavirus. Mark my words on that. Because H1N1 happened with the vaccine. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully, he's got the right eyes. Because, you know, the CDC guy who was in charge of this program, if you remember correctly, was found dead in a river. But we totally forget about the history of these things. When he wanted to put out information in regards to nefarious, pro what you know, I digress again. Remember that gentleman from the CDC turned up dead, murdered in a river. But again, I digress. This is how they set things in motion. And this is why some people fear that this was like a way to make him look like he's not taking it seriously. So he's addressing it like, look, I am taking it seriously. We're making a vaccine. We're cracking down on people coming through our border. We're quarantining. You know, there's big quarantines. We've got great facilities. We're going to keep everything tight. We're working with other nations. What else do you want him to do? What else do you want him to do? Cartwheels? So it's pretty ridiculous, but this is how they sow the seeds so they can pop them when they want them. And this is going to be their uh, version of an October surprise. Just watch. Can you clarify, are you considering restricting travel to and from 
South Korea, Italy, and other countries that have been affected. At the right time, we may do that. Right now, it's not the right time, but at the right time. And we are checking people as they come through, specifically for uh, the problem, the problem that we're dealing with. So we're checking a lot of people if they're coming from South Korea. has been hit pretty hard. Italy's been hit pretty hard. China is obvious what's happened in China. But again, the numbers seem to be leveling off and going down in China, which is very good news. So we'll see what happens. Please. White House has spent a day denying that they are going to appoint a czar to run point on the coronavirus response. Today, the Secretary Azar testified that he didn't think one was necessary and they were going to run it out of HHS. And you yourself have been downplaying this. So why are you now selecting the vice president well, to run Mike point? Well, Mike is not his vice president. He's in the administration. Uh, but I'm having everybody report to Mike. Mike's been very good, very adept. Anybody that knows anything about healthcare, they look at the Indiana model, and it's been a very great success. It's been a tremendous model in terms of healthcare, and this is really an offshoot of that. So this isn't a czar. I don't view Mike as a czar. Mike is part of the administration, but I'm having them report to Mike. Mike will report to me. Uh, they'll also be reporting in some cases to both. I'll be going to meetings quite a bit depending on what they want to do and what message we want to get out. But we've done really an extraordinary job. When you look at a country this size, with so many people pouring in, we're the number one in the world for people coming into a country by far. Uh, and uh, we have a total of 15 cases, uh, many of which almost much within a day, I'll, I will tell you, most of whom are fully recovered. Uh, I think that's really a pretty impressive mark. Now, we did take in 40 people that were Americans, and they're also recovering, but we brought them in, so I call that I have a different group. But we felt we had an obligation to American citizens outside of the country that were trying to get back in. We thought it was very important. The stock market has taken a big hit over the yeah. past few days. What can you do about that? And if the CDC is right in saying that the spread is inevitable, are you going to be dealing with stock market issues and economy issues for some time to come? Well, I really think the stock market of something I know a lot about, I think it took a hit maybe for two reasons. Uh, I think they look at the people that you watched debating last night and they say if there's even a possibility that can happen, I think it really takes a hit because of that. And it certainly took a hit because of this, and I understand that also because of supply chains and various other things, and people coming in. Uh, but I think the stock market will recover. Uh, the economy is very strong. The consumer is the strongest it's ever been. Our consumers are incredible. They're in incredible. That's why we're doing well, and other countries have not. Even before the virus, we're doing great. Other countries have not been doing great. Our consumer is very, very strong, very powerful economically. Yeah, please. Mr. President, have you been presented any plans that would involve quarantine cities like we saw in China? And what would have to happen for you to take a We do have uh, plans of a much uh, on a much larger scale, should we need that. Uh, we're working with states. We're working with virtually every state, uh, and we do have plans on a larger scale if we need it. We don't think we're going to need it, but, you know, you always have to be prepared. And, uh, again, Congress is talking to us about funding, and uh, we're getting far more than what we asked for, and I guess the best thing to do is take it. We'll take it. How much money are you willing to give Congress if they're going six Well, we're going to see, but we'll take care of states because states are working very hard. We have hospitals in states that make rooms available, and they, they're building quarantine areas, areas where you can keep people safely. Uh, we're working really well with states. It's a very What do they want him to do, build up some freaking camp? And say, look, we're totally ready for something that's not going to happen. It's a flu. Wash your hands. You'll be fine. That's what you have to do. End of story. And I was glad he kind of told them that. Like, seriously. This, 
is politicizing health issues to create panic. And a lot of people say it's targeted at the market. It's not. It's the confidence in the president. And this is just sowing the seeds. They're making a big deal. You're going to forget about it next week because all of this stuff is coming out. And they want you to focus on that rather on all the other stuff that's going like war brewing, Assange's extradition, you know, things that really, really matter. You know, what's going on with Iran, Afghanistan, and all these resignations and firings. I'll see you in a bit. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So we were talking about the coronavirus. We were talking about fake outrage. We were talking about politicizing something that is a big nothing burger. And it's been politicized so bad that now they want to call it the Trump virus. So it's all Trump's fault. This is just how butthurt they are. It's Trump's fault. But here's where we can all laugh. Okay. Uh, aside from the fact that the New York Times is insanely obsessed with President Trump calling it the Trump virus when he didn't do anything for it, which is so ridiculous. I mean, it just makes you realize just how desperate they are. They are very desperate. But um, what I want us to understand is just how um, depleted the Democrats are and how desperate they are. Um Yesterday, I was having a late night conversation because apparently lately I've been sleeping it really, I've been sleeping a lot um, and um, having conversations at odd hours. But I was having a conversation with someone. And I was like, you know, if there was no President Trump right now and the candidates that are running for president on the Democratic ticket were the only people that were available for me to choose, I would literally like move to Antarctica and like hitch up an igloo or do something because that is terrifying. It is terrifying. It is terrifying to know that that is the only hope for America. If there was no president Trump and I then thought about it uh, this morning when I got up and I was working and having my coffee, I realized that, um, you know, for the conservatives, we have like, you know, our own like, you know, Conservacon, you know, Conservative Poli Political Action Conference, CPAC, where, you know, people with ideas, prominent figures within, you know, um, I would say domestic foreign policy addressed to Americans, voicing what their readers, what their subscribers talk about, which I was supposed to go to. But, you know, many of you know that my life has been tipped on its head uh, in the past eight weeks. And it's a, that's a, it's a, it's pretty rough. But we have this. Okay. Americans with common sense have this. Now, I'm not saying that CPAC is completely independent. Let's keep this straight. I'm not saying that CPAC is full right. Let's keep that straight, okay? I've got some, you know, um, criticism on that. But regardless, 
the concept is, is that this is like an annual political conference where people can get together and people that voice opinions of people that have demonstrated that people want to hear what they have to say are there. And we discuss ideas and we put together things, uh, you know, that, that serve us, uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's like our party, but the Democrats don't have that actually listen to this in 2017. They were like, Oh, we're going to have like an idea summit. Cause the Democrats don't even have it guys that fell flat on its face. They didn't have like anybody there. Like who are they going to put there to talk about ideas? Greta Thunberg. Bernie Sanders, you know, who are they going to have there? You know, these insane writers at the New York Times, like Gail Collins or Maggie. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Think about it. Who are they going to have to sit there where they'll pay money to sit and have discussions and express their ideas or congratulate them on some investigative reporting? They don't have anybody, you guys. That idea summit fizzled so quick. Nobody even talked about it because it was that embarrassing, that embarrassing. So think they have nothing. They are making anything, the slightest thing into something because they literally have nothing. The only thing they have is looming indictments, pants being pulled down, people being rounded up and locked away people being lynched by the people. That's the only thing they have to offer, or I would say, look forward to. Let's be straight on that. So this is why they're weaponizing the fears of the people. They're weaponizing the fears of the people. Um, Ingram, actually had McCarthy on uh, yesterday, and I want you guys to take a listen to what he had to say in regards to them weaponizing uh, the coronavirus fears. And a fairly painstaking detail today, they're prep for a possible virus outbreak in the United States, but that was not good enough for the party of pain and misery. What he's doing is late, too late, anemic. Hopefully we can make up for the loss of time. Create a czar who knows what he's doing or she's doing to bring the agencies together. It should be a public health expert. Second, ask for the right amount of money. I'm going to get him bifocals. I'm just buying him bifocals so he doesn't have those glasses down there. It makes you much smarter. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy joins us tonight. Congressman, that right amount of money turns out to be $8.5 billion, Schumer suggested in a written request this morning. Are they just throwing money at this problem? It seems like Schumer's just playing politics and throwing, because we had all the, the head of appropriations by Republican and Democrats together to walk through and see what do we need. And the interesting part, yeah, the president was out there the other day, but I've been to numerous meetings down at the White House, bicameral, bipartisan, walking through long before anybody was talking about this. And we've been preparing for this. When Republicans were in the majority, the last four to five years, we've increased NIH and CDC funding almost 40%. And you know what we created? Infectious Disease Rapid Response Fund. Republicans created that, wondering if this day would ever come. So we have been preparing. We have the best health care in the world. Should the messaging have hit sooner? Should this 
press conference have happened three weeks ago, four weeks, would that have gotten, because all this stuff was in place already, but just, you know, people need to hear it, and then when they hear it, they go, oh, okay, now I get it. Well, you know what's interesting? If you're an elected official, you're going to go to your fourth meeting on this in the entire Congress, yeah. everybody together. So they have been hearing about it. But they but weren't for- talking about it until this week. Am I right or wrong on that? They weren't talking about it in these you know, feverish terms until... No, this yeah, week. the Democrats weren't talking anything about yeah. this. They actually tried to criticize the president when he shut the planes down from China from coming into it. That's what my point is. They're not going to go further than Trump on, on preventing no, this disease not. from coming. All they're trying to look at... They're, they're one of those teachers you had that only wants to put a red mark on your paper instead of tell you where you're doing it right. And the president has been preparing for this. The challenge is, what did China do? It started in November, never told us about it. We tried to send our scientists in there, our doctors. The president's they been wouldn't pretty positive it. on President Xi way too positive, in my view, on how he's handled this crisis. I mean, is that just, we have to do happy talk to keep uh, uh, China diplomacy you know, going here? We've put our, we put our CDC, and China actually copied our CDC, call it that, between our scientists, they have worked together. It's the leadership, and I think what she has been doing has been trying to make sure the media is pushed down instead of spending the time. Can we believe the numbers coming of out of China? No, you right? can't believe any numbers. Could out be a of lot China. bigger than what they're saying. And the right? concerning, once it goes to other places, that becomes a real problem for us. What about the politics of this? Uh, the president riding high after failed uh, impeachment conviction. Mueller bombed. They said a recession was going to happen. None of that happened. Economy vitals are very, very strong strong in this election year. Do Democrats see this as their opportunity, their their heck of a job brownie moment, their you know their their moment to seize the aha? They see it any moment to try to do this. But compare this when Ebola was here and President Obama was in office. You had Republicans in the majority working together, not playing politics. These are pe- this is people's health. This is not the time to play politics. Schumer went out and just picked a number out of the air just to try to go after the president. And for Nancy Pelosi to say that after the president's been preparing for this, they're trying Has to get she been away. Talking to the president about this one-on-one i don't you'd have to ask president because i don't know if we're ever calling but we've had all the administration down giving us briefings we're going to our fourth one just this week all right i have to get your reaction to last night's debate uh congressman um the democrats are employing now a new talking point against bernie and one of them even takes a shot at you watch It adds up to four more years of Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House, and the inability to get the Senate into Democratic hands. The time has come for us to stop acting like the presidency is the only office that matters. He still looks like the the people from Whoville. You know, I know a lot of people said Pee Wee Herman. Guys, his face shape is just like the ones on Whoville. Now, the New York Times actually asked uh, Speaker Pelosi about this today, and here's what she told them. You know, are you comfortable with Bernie Sanders at the top of the ticket? Pelosi says yes. Reporter says, do you worry he'll jeopardize your majority? Pelosi says no. Congressman, should she be worried? Well... She should be worried because what they have done in Congress is literally nothing. And they should be worried about all the success the president has. She's not worried about Bernie Sanders because she has already surrendered to the socialists. More than half of them have co-sponsored, not just support, but co-sponsored Medicare for all. I mean, this is a party that rather commend communism than defend democracy. It is outrageous. Remember last year when the president said we'll never be a socialist country? Exactly. You all stood up and then the Democrats are like, oh, I'm not sure if I should sit, stand. That was kind they of bad. have a nominee that's a socialist. If the, we only need 18 seats to win the majority, so the answer is yes. If they want to find it, we have some of the you best find recruits ever. You got, you got a big recruit class. You got to so find they need to go 18. to takethehouse.com if they really want to see a new majority. They can. 
And we are going to take the House and we're going to have the Senate. And, you know, Bernie Sanders, okay, here's what I think. Bernie Sanders, if he actually takes the nomination from the DNC, I'm just saying, he's not going to make it to elections. That's where they, you know, tee him off. (laughs) And whoever he picks as his partner will be the replacement. This is how you slide people in. I just want you guys to pay attention to those little details because the socialists want him. And about one, I think the calculations we got was one ninth of the United States of America is pro-socialism. So, and they're not all voting age too. So this is going to be really interesting to see how it pans out. Now, I want you guys to understand that Hannity had de Blasio, de Blasio, New York City's mayor, who at the moment has Harlem, a whole area with 3000 people with no running water. He's out there talking about the potential, you know, Bernie Sanders nomination by the DNC instead of looking after a city, which is now, huh? Now, not eligible for federal funds since they're sanctuary city. So hopefully he can, you know, demonstrate how great he is as a mayor by at least giving people running water. I'm just saying. But listen to his interview with Hannity. It's pretty awesome. Hannity did a good job on this. Democratic primary. He recently picked up the endorsement of New York City mayor. I call him comrade Bill de Blasio. I'm not going to say it. When he's not here, and not say too. Here, so he's sitting I'm right, right here. here. Anyway, <laughs> he joins us live tonight to discuss the Sanders campaign, uh, de Blasio's predecessor, Mayor Mike Bloomberg, and the state of the Democratic Party. You know, I will say this. You spent a lot of time with us the last time, um, and people did say that at least he had the guts to come on. Good for you, and I mean that. Let me start with Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to play for these comments. I know you're against stop and frisk. Yep. Okay. I would argue... Higher concentration of crime, more police resources. It's about people. But that's not how he defined it. Let's play his own words. 95% of your murders and murderers and murder victims fit in one MO. You can just take the description of Xerox and pass it out to all the cops. They are male minorities, 15 to 25. That's true in New York, it's true in virtually every city in the And that's where the real crime is. It's the only unintended consequences is people say, oh my God, you are arresting kids for marijuana, they're all minorities. Yes, that's true. Why? Because we put all the cops in minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And one of the ways you get the guns out of kids' hands is to throw them against the wall and frisk them. You followed him. Mm-hmm. Mayor of New York. Is that racist to you? Oh, sure. Sean, look, this is, thank you for playing that for your millions of viewers, because now more people are going to get to see who Mike Bloomberg really is. That policy divided police and community. I don't even think it's the policy. If there's a higher concentration of crime in this part of town, you put more police resources. He's saying all crime, only minorities, only arresting minorities. But look at, look at. Because that's where all the crime is. That's not true. He's totally out of touch with the people of his own city when he says that. It's derogatory, it's unfair, it's not truthful. But on top of that, what happened? It made it harder for police and community to communicate and be on the same page. It created tons of pain for parents, grandparents, trying to bring up their kids the right way. Look, if you were stopped, you're, you're a law-abiding guy your whole life, you're a young person, you're stopped, you're frisked over and over and over no, no. again. He said throw them up against the yeah. wall. Imagine what that does to someone. It's called police brutality. Well, look, it 
what it does is it takes away any sense of self-esteem, self-confidence. So here's what happened. People came to him, clergy, elected officials. People said, please, this isn't working. It's hurting us. He disdained them. He didn't. He dismissed Michael them. Goodwin said a 700 percent increase in stop and frisk, in, which is the opposite of what he said last night. Let me play this comment now. About- right, wait, there's one coda. Yeah. So we ended that policy. And for six years in a row, crime has gone down. Relationships between police and community got better. We added 2,000 officers on patrol. You need to protect our cops better. I'd get the, every one of those videos. You need to arrest every one of those and people. And we do. Did but you get them all? We've gotten pretty much all of them, seriously. But, here's, right. but listen to the punchline. He said, Bloomberg said, oh, if you don't do stop and frisk, you won't be safe. We got rid of it. We got safer. The NYPD's done an extraordinary job and is now able to have that respectful, positive relationship with the community. Let me play... Now, everyone has a health care plan, mm-hmm. you know. Bloomberg has his own plan. Basically, a death plan. You're, oh, you've outlived your usefulness, your, your, you know, your expected age you're going to live to, life expectancy. Go home and die. That's his policy. Listen to this. At the rate we're going, health care is going to bankrupt us. So not only do we have a problem, it's going to bankrupt us. And we've got to sit here and say which things we're going to do and which things we're not. Nobody wants to do that. You know, you show up with prostate cancer and you're 95 years old, you should say, go and enjoy, have a nice day, lead a long life. There's no cure and you can't do it. If you're a young person, we should do something about it. Society's not willing to do that yet. Uh, Sean, Go home and die? Sean, that's what we call bedside manner right there. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, no, but look at this. this. And you saw it in the two debates. Mm-hmm. This guy has no common touch, no connection to people. Look, one of the things you and I have talked about, you've got millions of viewers who are working Americans, everyday people. And I'm here with you because I want to talk to them, too. We should all be talking to each other. But when you watch Michael Bloomberg on that debate stage, he's got no clue what everyday people are going through. He doesn't care to know when he was mayor here. If you tried to talk about what's happening in the neighborhood, what was happening to everyday people, all he could think about was that elite he comes from. And it comes through here. How do you talk about health care? We've got lots of people, tens of millions of people who need health care. How do we work together to get it to them the right way? Not how do we plan your funeral? Uh, that was shocking to me. But what's interesting about this, and the reason I'm asking you first about him, is you're not supporting him. Boy, you're supporting Bernie Sanders. I will say this about Sanders. Mm-hmm. And I'm over the years, you need to tell him to come back on the show. He's ducking me. But at least he he believes this crap. I mean, he really he's the he is sincere. This guy supported stop and frisk for 12 years, seven years when you were mayor. And then says, oh, I'm running for president. Uh, oh, African-Americans may not like this. And starts with the crocodile tears. You agree that's phony? hundred percent. If he were not running for president right now, we still wouldn't have that apology. Exactly. But what you said about Bernie Sanders is right. And working people get this about Bernie. It's very important. Oh, you gosh. could disagree with him, but you don't doubt that what he is saying is the truth. You know a lot of politicians, Sean. I do. And most politicians, bluntly, you have to wonder if you're getting the real thing from them. What about Bernie, his praise wait, of Venezuela? Hold on. I'm giving I'll you a lot of time. What about his praise of Venezuela, Cuba? He does Who honeymoons in the former Soviet Union? Would you ever... Oh, the, they killed millions in the former Soviet Union. Cold War. Oh, no, no. Cold War That's when he was there. Come on. He was there. You know when he was there? A a nation that killed millions. No, you actually make a great point. The week he was there, you know who else was there? Ronald Reagan. Yeah, but he was actually telling them to, you know, 
among other things, the, that they the better point change. Is it was trust but verify. Years ago, peace through strength. And, and what actually everyday Americans are looking for, they don't want to talk about the Cold War. They want to talk about how are we going to get people health insurance? How are we going to get make sure that people have a decent job and decent wages? How are we going to make sure the middle class survives? And how are we going to deal okay. with climate change? All things where Americans You want believe, to get rid of... Bernie wants on, to get Bernie, rid of oil and gas. Hold on. How do we survive? It's the lifeblood of the world's economy. How Sean, do we survive? We talked about this before, but let me just make the point. Bernie Sanders believes in what he's talking about. I, I agree he with gives that. you an incredibly clear picture of where he wants to go. By the way, that is okay. what great leaders do. I think you have a feeling for Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, you actually knew where he wanted to go. You know it with Bernie Sanders. He is about working people. The elites are here's, not about working people. He is. Here's the problem. He's going to tax people by his own admission that make 29000 or more. They're going to get slapped with a 4% tax increase to pay for Medicare for all. He's going to high-income earners. They're going to see a top federal rate of 52%, a hike of 15%. Capital gains he's going to raise. He wants a wealth tax. The death tax, 77%. Oh, OK, New York gets another, what, 10 percent. I think your city gets 3 percent. The federal government. That means you, you tax people, they pay their taxes. Then you take another bite at the apple with the wealth tax if you were dumb enough to save money. And then when you die, you got to give 90 percent of your wealth. Don't you think that's legalizing stealing? No. You know, what no, I think? you should have all that money. Do you, you know what I we think? should just hand it over to you. Do you know all you make unites Republicans, Democrats, independents. Two things. One. Too much money in politics. They'd all like to see the big money out of politics. Two, they all think the wealthy are not paying their fair share in taxes. No one doubts that Bernie Sanders is going to work to make it a more right. fair. You got to give me a straight answer. How much of every dollar after you pay state, local, federal sales, property taxes, should everybody be allowed to keep? Anybody? Look, How, well, no, no, no. And the Come bottom on, line, straight I'm not going to do a single number. The bottom line is Why this. Why not? The bottom line is this. Folks who for decades, very wealthy people. You're not answering. How much should people be able people They're earning it. Way, How did they get who that? Who got that way in large measure because of government policies that help them. It's time for people to pay How their share. How much should every American, Sean, regardless of how Sean, much you have? Can I keep 40 cents of every dollar? Most Republicans think the wealthy are not paying their fair share in taxes. And this is so why. You want to legalize stealing. No. And you and, want to confiscate and you know it. And then I you want to give it away so you build your power. I got a prediction for you. What? A lot of your viewers have a choice between Biden, Bloomberg, Bernie Sanders. A lot of your viewers who are Democrats, a lot of your viewers are labor union members. They're going with Bernie Sanders. And Trump's going to win. And Bernie Sanders is going to win. We agree. Bernie Sanders is going to win. We We can now project Donald J. Trump reelected the 45th president of the United States. We'll invite you to Bernie's inauguration. Oh, I can hardly. Oh, great. I think he wants to be there. there. He won't even come on. Tell him to come on my show, will you? You're going to tell him? Of course. All right. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for coming in. Okay. So like that, that was heated, right? You had to listen to the whole thing. I was laughing while I was listening to it. And I was thinking, here's a guy who wanted to run for president, failed miserably. And the funniest thing that I found was that he wasn't backing Bloomberg. I thought they were buddies. I thought they were ride or die homies, which means Bloomberg's not really running. Okay, he's not really running. And the fact that he's like, you know, labor unions and they're going to vote for Bernie. And I'm like, yeah, of course they will. That's what socialists do. They create labor unions. They take your money in order to push their policies. This is exactly what they've been doing with Amalgamated Bank. That is the bank that holds most of your union dues. And what do they do? They take it. And what do they do? They spend it on advertising and pushing their policies. This is ridiculous. And the fact that we are willing to promote a communist is 
I mean, think of all the people that have died trying to make sure that we don't have a totalitarian socialist or communist nation rolling over in their graves right now because we have people advocating for just that. Oh, yeah. Everybody else did it wrong. You know, it's 2020 now. We all know the mistakes, so we're going to fix it. Remember, it's all about everyone having equal money, equal level, everything's vanilla, everyone's educated, and you're working and you're just a cog in the machine to serve those that are above you and that you don't elect, kind of like Mao. You know, in China, there is extremely poor and those people are kind of like the misfits. They disappear, they die. But not everyone's like, you know, poor is a different definition there. Uh, you know, living in a shack or an apartment and trying to make ends meet as well as you can, which is what we consider middle class here, right, um, is normal for them. And then there's like... A ton of middle class in China, which is communist. And then you have the elites, you know, the ones that have so much property, so much golden toilets, dripping in diamonds, while the rest of the people are just the cogs in the machine to make everything go. And those elitists, you know, are, you know, your superstars, your business owners, the people that hover just underneath the government to support it because you need business, you need trade uh, to support your government, right? So the business owners, are the ones that are the elitist corporations, in other words. Is that the vision of America that we have? I mean, come on. You know, what was hilarious is seeing the statement that Bloomberg made live at his town hall that made my hair stand up, not because of what he said. I've heard people say that stuff all the time. It's the fact that he said it and he wasn't even ashamed of it. You know, he sat there and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, I make an effort to shake every bellhop's hand in New York City. So that way they can go home and say, I met someone important. It's like, oh, my gosh, you're really the peasant. He's telling you this. He's not even shy about it. All right. Totally not shy about it, that you are of a lesser God and you should be grateful that he shook your hand. Digest that for a second. These are the people that we want running our nation. These are the people that we want making uh, policy decisions. Are we kidding? This is uh, pure insanity. Pure insanity. I have never seen so much insanity in my life. So um, this is, you know, the the bottom line where we're at. That communism is being embraced because people no longer have the drive to actually work. They don't want to work. They want to be spoon fed. They want to be given things for free. That is all they want. That's horrific. You guys, that is not how America should be. That is not my America. And I'm pretty sure not yours either. In our America, we work hard to have the things we have. In our America, we love one another. In our America, we set the example of what it is to be subjective. No, objective. Because lately we've become subjective. Life, the right to life or a life in general is now a subjective issue. I saw this morning, it made my heart sink. And I showed it to my daughter too. I was like, is this for real? She's like, yeah, there's tons of that stuff on TikTok. 
there was a girl who was boasting about going to have an abortion. And I'll tell you what, from the ultrasound, she was at least three months pregnant, at least three months pregnant with a little bouncing baby in, oh, I saw it and I was thinking, God rest. I, I prayed for the soul that should have been, but I also pray for her because she is so ignorant, so ignorant. So having life as something that's subjective as opposed to objective is the concern here. This te- this shows us where humanity is going towards and where we need to put some stops. Now, on that note, I am going to see you guys in just a little bit right after this short break. But think about it. When has life been subjective? When have we we've been able to just make a decision if something or someone deserves the right to live or die? I'll see you in a bit. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So right now we, um, you know, have talked about coronavirus, talked about, you know, the party of communism, the, the pandemic party, because they're sick, too. They're not only purporting further sickness, but they're also sick themselves. So these people are insanely sick. Um, and we're going to get into more of the nefarious sick people soon. Um, I think we should talk about it tomorrow on Friday, uh, because there's something else that should be coming out today. Uh, I wanted us to kind of focus and see the wins that we've had. So first of all, the Department of Justice can now, like I announced yesterday when it was breaking, um, they can now take away your naturalization. So if you came here as a migrant and you, I don't know, maybe obfuscated ties to like terrorists like Al-Shabaab or, you know, crimes or lied about your name, your date of birth or committed crimes here or you're a sexual offender here. They will deport you. They will revoke any right you have in this nation. And that is a good thing because we should not. And the thing is, once you get rid of them, like, will they take them back? Like, think, will Somalia take Ilhan Omar back? I mean, Qatar will for sure. Or in Turkey will for sure. But I don't know. Will Somalia take her back? You know, now that we've we've got that foothold through Kenya. These are the things that that are wins that are going under the radar without a lot of talk. And that's why I tweeted out, Hey, Ilma, Ilhan, we've been busy because this is how it comes down to it. Our nation, this is our house. And we get to be picky just like everyone else. You know, my daughter, she was telling me, everyone's telling me how we're racist and we're not letting people in, come in at school. And I was like, listen, man, if I want to go to Australia, they're going to do a point system. And they might say, you know what? No, we don't want you in here. And be like, but I'm, I really want to live with kangaroos and big spiders, you know, let me in. And they'll say, no, you know, you don't qualify because we, we don't like you. You know, you want to go to a European nation. Have you tried getting a visa as an American, a European nation? Oh my gosh. 
tons of questions. You know, I don't know, man. Can you do the job? Do you speak the language? And it's like, but in America, we're supposed to just let everybody in here. Don't speak the language. Got a job? Any skills? Mm, you know, understando. And it's like, okay, no speak English. Okay. What are you going to do? Yep. And they just stare at you and you're supposed to say, all right, yeah, just come on in. That, how is this Okay. We don't get to throttle immigration. We don't get to be selective rather than uh, open the open the floodgates and let them all in. You let them all in. Where are they going to go? How are they going to work? They don't even speak the language. It's a requirement in some nations in Europe to speak their language. But I digress again, huh? Oh, you know, that's racist saying it. Have you tried to get a visa in Mexico? What about Canada? Where do they speak English? That England, you know, motherland, right? That we broke from. Have you ever tried to get a visa to live there? If you fly to London without a return ticket, you're not going in. See, these are small, minute details that they forget to kind of, you know, talk about because it's not in their best interest. Because then it's like, wait a minute, so why are we supposed to do this? Oh, everybody else doesn't, but we do. Okay, get it. Totally makes sense. So immigration, big deal. And that's sucking the life out of our infrastructure, our ability to support American citizens. It's sucking the life out of everything. All our monies, all our resources for migrants. And migration is a huge issue in Europe right now. In Greece, it's, it's really going insane. Like these people are really going insane. And a lot of... um a lot of media is kind of painting it in a way of, oh my gosh, so, you know, horrific that, um, you know, they're not accepting them. They don't want them. They're an island. They actually have, you know, fixed square footage that has been around their family for forever and that they're supposed to just hand out to somebody else. This is how you show that you're accepting by collapsing your own home? Do you take the door off your house and let everybody in? Like, how does that work? It doesn't. So the reason immigration is so important is because President Trump won the sanctuary city fight. That means we can withhold funds from sanctuary cities. We don't need to give federal dollars to states that have issues because they have, uh, you know, uh, sanctuary, because they have migrants. It's like, um, well, you chose to have them, so deal with it. Fix it yourself. You have money for the migrants? Deal with it. You're not going to use federal funds to pay for them. Take a listen. The Trump yesterday sued the New York Times for libel over an op-ed about a Russia conspiracy. The president says doesn't end there. When they get the opinion totally wrong, as the New York Times did, and frankly, they've got a lot wrong over the last number of years. So we'll see how that, let that work its way through the courts. If you read it, you'll see it's beyond an opinion. That's not an opinion. That's something much more than an opinion. They did a bad thing, uh, and there'll be more coming. 
Mm. The New York Times promising a long court battle. Well, here to weigh in is Fox News senior judicial analyst and host of Liberty File on Fox Nation, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Hey, Good Judge. morning. Good morning, guys. So there's a couple of principles here. Uh, first of all, opinion is protected. So the president's point is this is an opinion. It's not an opinion. It was presented as fact. If it is an opinion, the case goes away because your opinion can be anything you want. The doctrine is called fair comment. Even if the fact quoted in it in The New York Times is wrong? Correct. Correct. Because it is the opinion that he claims he's aggrieved by. Now, I said he claims. He's not the plaintiff. The plaintiff is the campaign. And under libel law here in New York, where they filed the complaint, a group can't be the plaintiff. Only an individual who's actually been harmed by the alleged defamation can be the plaintiff. Was the president harmed? I don't think he was harmed. This statement came out <clears throat> after he was already president. So it certainly didn't harm him when he was running for president, and it's not harming him now. But he has succeeded in ginning up his animosity with the Times and, and the scrutiny by right. other media of what the Times says about it. So you're saying the campaign does not have standing? Correct. Okay. And for that reason, I, I, uh, I think it will be dismissed. It was actually, uh, I think, a clever way to try and expand libel law, but I don't think it will succeed. It was interesting. I heard the attorney, president's attorney, talking about this, or the, the man who's suing, and he said that he said they wrote this editorial with information in there that the New York Times in previous articles had already had debunked. refuted, yeah. yeah. So this came out after Attorney General Barr's summary of Bob Mueller's report. Right before but, the report itself. Was correct, released. correct. So the author of this was unaware of all the findings that uh, okay. that Mueller had. I, I really think this is in the opinion category. I understand the uh, president's animosity, but he's going to have to sue personally, which right. I don't think he wants to do as the sitting president. Well, so uh, and the, we heard the president last night during his press conference say we'll see it work through the courts. Meanwhile, yesterday, the administration got a big win in the Second Circuit yes. Court of Appeals, where they said uh, the administration was right to say to sanctuary cities, if you do not follow sanctuary policies, we're not going to give you money. A bunch of states sued, and now they, they the courts say, the administration has the opportunity to say so no dough for you. This has been looked at by five federal appellate courts. There are 12 in the country. Four of them have said the administration can't add a new condition to the recipient of funds that wasn't there when the funds were authorized. Mm -hmm. The Second Circuit, which governs New York, said the opposite yesterday. Because this goes to the ability of the federal government to enforce its own laws, if the feds want to hold back money until they can uh, be satisfied as to how that money is being used and make sure it's not being used against the enforcement mm -hmm. of federal laws, they can. Bottom line, because you have four circuit courts going one way and one going the other way, this is absolutely ginned up uh, for the Supreme Court. When will this come down? Mm. If it gets to the Supreme Court, eh, I was surprised. Close to election time. I was surprised that this New York court voted in favor of the president. I Tell was, us about this court. I was surprised as well. I mean, this is this is the most prestigious. My friends in the D.C. Circuit are not going to want to hear this. This is the most prestigious federal uh, appellate court in the country because it is uh, New York. I was stunned at the way it went. How does the Supreme Court come out if it goes to that level? Prediction? Five to four in favor of the president. Well, it's interesting. But, but this has never been resolved at the Supreme Court level, Pete, as you know, which is why we have these appellate, these intermediate appellate courts going in different directions. And then if the Supreme Court ruling comes out just before the election, it's going to inflame 
both sides. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the concept of sanctuary cities is sacrosanct to the Democrats and anathema to the administration. But if should you this be resolved? Federal law, should you get federal money? I mean, it seems pretty cut and dry. The, so the rule always has been: if there's going to be a condition on the money, the condition has to be stated at the outset. It can't be added afterwards. That's the way those four other circuit courts went. The one in New York said, "Yeah, you can add that condition because it goes to the core reason for which the money is being spent: law enforcement." You are the first person who's ever used the words anathema and. <laughs> What was the other one? Sacrosanct. Sacrosanct. sentence on this program in 20-something. You know why? I was just talking to Hegseth. These are Princeton words. (laughs) Actually, they're not Princeton words. They're Greek. (laughs) And, um, you know, for him to actually be so cut and dry and to say that it's anathema to this administration is very wrong. And to say that there's a preset or prerequisite to the money, there is. When you get money for health and human services, it should be health and human services for American citizens. That's why we use federal tax dollars, not for foreigners. When you get federal tax dollars for law enforcement, it should be for law enforcement to enforce laws, right, that are correct. If in the state of California... example it's okay to kill your child from zero to five you know we consider that murder in the rest of america and their law enforcement will not get any money if they are not enforcing the law of of, you know capital murder i'm just saying so you know the fact that he won this is big it's big on two things one the ninth circus court is dead. This is why they're so upset that he's constantly appointing judges. And there is more to come. Like I said, SCOTUSgate is going to be huge. By the end of the Trump administration, he'll have changed every single judge except for one. So um, this was a win for us, the taxpayers. This was a win for us to throttle a bit their open door policy because when they're asphyxiated with costs that they can't meet, when they asphyxiate the corporations that live within their state, they're going to have issues. And you know what's amazing is, is that this came in after we said that we'll be giving water to California. Because that is a cushion to say, well, oh my gosh, if we don't get funds, we won't have water. We'll be in a drought, our farmers, and we can't drink. Look, man, you don't have water, and yet you're opening your borders and letting these people take over your state. You should just leave it alone, close up. We should just build a wall around California right now. Because if they don't change their ways, that state will not survive. At all. Economically, it will not survive. Because we don't have to give money to their social services through the Department of Health and Human Services for people that are not American citizens. We don't have to fund their law enforcement if they're not enforcing federal law like immigration. We do not have to provide, you know, Uh, funds to schools that are giving away free education to non-U.S. citizens but charging U.S. citizens. 
These are the things. We do not have to give you money if you don't comply with X, Y, Z. That's federal law. You get no title funds. You don't get this. You don't get that. That is how you push change. By throttling their pockets. Because there's only so much Twitter's going to pay for, Google's going to pay for, Disney's going to pay for, you know, Hollywood's going to pay for. They're going to be bone dry and they're just going to leave. And there's already a mass exodus from California. This is hurting them beyond belief. Now, earlier today, uh, Pelosi was live and she had a press conference. I want to listen to her babble and talk about it together. I put out a statement on the coronavirus uh, threat. It probably is in your inbox, but uh, in case you don't look there, uh, uh, we said the United States government must address the spread of this deadly um, coronavirus as in a smart, strategic, and serious way. Uh, we must stand ready to work in a bipartisan fashion in Congress and with the administration to achieve the necessary goal. Lives are at stake. This is not a time for name-calling or playing politics. The first step the Congress must take is to ensure that the government has the resources needed to combat this deadly virus and keep Americans safe. And then we go on to some of the uh, provisions that we think need to go with it, but that's, again, in your inbox. Uh, earlier this week. Uh, uh, well, okay, so we're going to skip over what she's talking about, the coronavirus, because I don't really want to hear it again. Not having so much of that talent that it, we are so proud of uh, in our uh, uh, public health sector be available in other countries so that we can get a true, a true, accurate, a true and accurate assessment of what is happening in other countries. Uh, they may be having the best intentions, but they may not have, uh, shall we say, even with the most talent they may have, they don't have the, the uh, value added that someone from our country uh, could lend. So in any event... In other words, we need our own eyes in there to see what's going on, so that way we can blow this out of proportion as we so see fit. We look forward, as I say, to uh, working together in a bipartisan way and hopefully, you know, again, in a very candid way about our concerns about past performance or statements that are made. Let's put that uh, in perspective as we move forward to have the adequate funding, uh, the respect for science and evidence-based decision-making, and again, an, uh, reimbursement for state and local government and understanding the impact that this has on our communities. And speaking of community, I had the privilege on Monday of walk, uh, having a walk through Chinatown. I always love to go yes, there. Yes, you did. I'm very proud of it. I always feel uh, very privileged to... Uh, and, and say, oh, my poor colleagues, and they come home, they don't have the advantage of this beautiful diversity that I have in my district. But sadly, Chinatown is being very hard hit uh, by the uh, lack of tourism and the rest of, of the coronavirus. So a, large, a number of us went there, many press came too, uh, to have to see us go to temple, light the candle, uh, uh, 
have a lunch, dim sum, that was, uh, go visit and make Fortune Cookies <laughs> and Fortune Cookie Factory. By the way, Fortune Cookie Machine, which is fabulous, is made in America, and Fortune Cookies are an American phenomenon. It's not something you really find in China, or at least it didn't begin there. And My gosh, she's like short a few fortune cookies herself. Okay, so she went there. She lit a candle. You mean the stick, right? Um, the incense stick that we usually put at temples, right, in China. Okay, and then she went <laughs> ate some dim sum. <laughs> cultural appropriation much? Hello, where's the cultural appropriation police? And uh, she made fortune cookies, and they have fortune cookie machines that are made in America, and it's a phenomenon here. In any event, uh, in the shops and all the rest, uh, to be to show confidence, not fear, in terms of the the virus. So again, in every way, we want to be fully prepared, uh, but not um, panicking or fearful of what is happening. Then uh, today, tomorrow, on the floor of the House, we have very important legislation. Uh, it is to stop the youth tobacco epidemic that we're expressing. Okay, uh, you know, I'm very curious about that, and I've been looking into it with the jewels and what they're trying to do there with stopping it. Is it really that they're trying to stop the epidemic? Um, something's up with that, and I'm not understanding um, what. Uh, so she's going to be answering questions now. Here. Telling your members to reassure them, those who are nervous perhaps about a Bernie Sanders nomination. Uh, uh, my... I've been very clear in all of this. Our responsibility is to win the House. We have know how to win. We've demonstrated that in the most gerrymandered, voter-suppressed political arena you can name. And yet we net gained 40 seats in the last election by owning the ground with our mobilization, not yielding one grain of sand, by a message of bold, progressive agenda was uh, mainstream and and uh, non-menacing and having the money, the M's, uh, to, um, uh, to advance our cause with our message and our ground game. Uh, that was very well managed by Ben Ray Lujan and now continues to be well managed by Sherry Bustos, our chair. And the most important part of it, all those M's, are the members-to-be, our candidates. Uh, they're absolutely spectacular. My responsibility is to make sure that those we elected last time uh, return to Congress, keep the majority, and add to our numbers. The presidential is its own race, and I don't, uh, contrary to what you may be hearing or writing, uh, we are not getting, uh, we are all unified. Whoever the nominee is of our party, we will wholeheartedly support. Uh, our gospel is one of unity, unity, unity. Yeah, they are. And that's something that the Democrats are really good at is being united on all fronts. So that's something they are really, really good at. Just wanted to say that the unity that she speaks of is quite interesting because they're not really fussed about the presidential race. She's making it clear to you. I'm not fussed about the presidential race. What I'm fussed about is us keeping the House and us gaining the Senate. That is what I care about. That is what she's telling you. She is directly telling you this. I am not one bit bothered about the presidential race. Whoever it is, we're going to accept because that's what we're good at. We're just going to accept it, period. What we care about is making sure that the same people that were elected into the House stay and that the same people that were in the Senate and more come. That's their focus. And that is 
is a very powerful message. So I, I, I don't have a, a, the uh, uh, experience that you may have described about hearing, hearing from anybody. But I'm sounding, I just would like to ask somebody who usually comes to our meetings, Chad, <laughs> to reward those, not those who parachute in for something. Mm-hmm. Yes, Chad. <laughs> My question is on Pfizer. It was a real Donnybrook to approve Pfizer, Pfizer. Mm-hmm. a few years ago. Uh, obviously, there are more concerns, especially on the Republican side of the aisle after what happened in the 2016 election and part of some of the allegations that the process was abused. How do some of what the concern that mostly Republicans have about Pfizer, how does that make that a tougher challenge to get this approved this time? Because you know that that's a unique cocktail of votes that was put together last time on both sides of the aisle pass it, and how does that uh, impose a challenge and do those concerns by Republicans make it even tougher this time around with that deadline? Well, we'll see. As, as you indicate, there's a deadline. Uh, we want to have it done by uh, the middle of Mar- well, March 12th for us from a, a legislative standpoint, but March 15th is the deadline. And um, we have the challenge. And this why is the deadline? Remember the sunset clause on the Patriot Act? That's the deadline. So it expires then. So what they need to do is sneak it into some legislation. So now, between now and then, we're going to see legislation like maybe the legislation she was talking about, the jewels, to kind of slip in the Patriot Act on that one too. That is what she's talking about. This is how you decode swamp language. This is my, you know, my wheelhouse. I'm there for, the, uh, for any, some of the five revisions in the past. The, the goal is to have the right balance between civil liberties and national security. I think the bill that was put together uh, in the Judiciary Committee, working with the Intelligence Committee, does that. There are others who would like to see some other um, provisions. Uh, we're just working through that now with respect for everyone's point of view. But it is really important that we pass the FISA bill. One thing that I'm very happy about, because this has been just a painful experience for all these years, is that we will have an end to the uh, data uh, collection uh, by telephone records, et cetera. So that will be out. There are many good things that are in the bill that protect (laughs) further protect civil liberties. And I would hope that we can come to a conclusion on it. Well, that's funny because weren't they the ones that pushed the sunset clause to be clause to be extended to March 15th? So that's really interesting. Why are they now pushing to say that, oh, we're going to take away the um, phone data collection clause? You know, we're going to stop that. Makes no sense. They talk from both sides of their mouth. I'll see you after this break. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. This is the last half hour, and I just wanted to um, bring to your attention a retweet I just did. Someone put together this graphic about um, Pete Buttplug, and it's pretty pretty um, spectacular in the way it was put, and it's, and it's titled, How to Create a Manchurian Candidate in Just 12 Easy Steps. Now, the next subscribe star show extended will be 
talking about the Oxford's, um, uh, Oxford Rhodes Scholarship um, from Cecil Rhodes. Uh, and it's also going to talk about McKinsey, which is a key company. And um, again, we're going to be talking about Project Helm. This is a Project Helm um, product. So I just thought for those of you that are on Twitter, um, I just retweeted that. Uh, it's pretty incredible the way he lays it out. So it's simplified. You know, the stuff isn't tinfoil hat stuff, especially, you know, in science, right? When you conduct an experiment and you get a result and you're like, yo, totally love the result. The, the proof is in the pudding. Or if you get a result, right? Actually get a result. The proof is actually in the pudding. You want to see, can I repeat the same experiment and get the same result. It's a repetition to make it fact. You can't say, oh, if I put salt in the water and stir it, it'll dissolve. Oh, look, it happened. And someone's like, that's a tinfoil hat theory. No, watch, I'll do it again. I don't know, man. It's just two times. Do it again, 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 until it's fact. This is fact. Again and again and again. If you actually put it down in that simple format. But see, the thing is, Pete was in an era where there is documentation. There is evidence that can be found. Whereas those that are now in power, there isn't. This brings politics to a new level. This means... Politicians are going to have to mitigate hardcore because everything's documented unless they wipe the internet clean. God knows. Now, we talked about the coronavirus a lot, the hoax, the pandemic party, the we're not going to politicize this, but politics. Um, people are talking about Huber, uh, supposedly uh, writing a report. Look, this guy's a prosecutor. He doesn't have to write a report. This could be like a summary. Here's all the list of the grand juries that we went through. The only report that he would give is to grand juries that didn't find people guilty. Now, the FISA, uh, I'm not happy with the FISA reform. Okay. I'm not happy with it at all uh, because they're discussing on altering the FISA. In order to do something like that, you got to take down the Patriot Act. You have to go back to that and fix that. You got to fix Section 702 and then you go to FISA reform. That's how it goes down. So, you know, I don't understand why conservative voices are like, oh, we're working on it. We're marking it up. We're doing this. What do you mean marking it up? You, it's like you're saying, oh yeah, you know, I'm totally going to fix that, you know, that uh, ceiling. And, but you have no wall fixed and no floor fixed. You can't do FISA reform without dealing with the Patriot Act and, you know, specifically Section 702. That is what needs to be rectified. They spied on President Trump. They spied on his campaign. They spied on him as an individual. They knew he was coming. They knew he was coming. Way before he even announced. Point is, how do we avoid this from happening? Pelosi's like, yeah, we won't do like phone and data collection anymore. That's not in the FISA reform. Okay, that's not in the FISA reform. That's the thing. So I want people to understand that this is all for show. Kind of like I told you, Graham, talk, 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 no walk, right? 
Where are all these hearings? Where are all these subpoenas? Nothing. So when you're hearing them talk about, oh, FISA reform, I'm pissed. I am really pissed. Because, okay, I want you to listen to this clip. The president retweeted it. And just as someone that's worked with legislation before, I find this really odd. Um, Congress faces a March 15 deadline to extend Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Take a listen. Welcome. Welcome back to our program here. Good to be with you, Bill. Congratulations on the new time slot. Thank you very much. Don't be a stranger. How do we get this right, sir? Well, we got to remember where this, what what prompted this all, this whole debate. Remember, it was the... uh, uh, the, the, the Justice Department in 2016 it went to the FISA court and misled the court. That's a nice way of saying they lied to the court 17 times. So we need to change how this works. You need a, I think you need someone at the court actually representing the American citizen who's about to lose some of their rights, some advocate for them. So that's one of the things we're going to try to push and get done in this, uh, this legislation. Okay, but, but I'm reading here the administration supports keeping the part of the law that allows this agency to collect data on U.S. citizens. You got a problem with that? I, got, I do have a problem if it's not properly predicated. If you don't have the safeguards in place to make sure our fundamental liberties are protected. And we know that didn't happen in the Carter Page example. We know that didn't happen in that case. Remember, 17 times they misled the court. I always go back to what the Attorney General said, Bill, about eight months ago when he testified in front of Congress. And he, he was talking about the whole Trump-Russia investigation. He said four very important things. He said there was a failure of leadership at the upper echelon of the FBI. Certainly true. Comey, McCabe, Baker, Strzok, Page, we know about that. He said spying took place. Used the word that drove the left crazy. He said there's a basis for my concern about the spying that happened. And maybe most importantly, he used the term political surveillance. A term that we should never, that should never happen when we're talking about the United States of America. So that's what's prompting all this and why we need to make the changes. Why we need a citizen advocate there to defend the interest of the citizen. Let me try and figure out what the right changes are here. Now there's one proposal to notify any Americans if they have been surveilled. I assume you would support that? Yeah, we're looking at lots of things. We're actually trying to put together a piece of legislation that we think is much better than the one Mr. Nadler has brought forward, one that's consistent with the principles that are you know, part of our Constitution, part of our Bill of Rights. But the, as I said, the most important aspect, I think, is this amicus process where you have someone there representing the individual who's about to lose their fundamental liberties. I also think it's important that we develop a record of what takes place in these courts. There should be a transcript of these proceedings. I think that's critically important. And I think when you're talking about a candidate, you're talking about a campaign, you're talking about an election, and you're talking about a person running for office who's an office holder or a staff person for some of those campaigns or, or uh, members of office, uh-huh. that, they, uh, that there's a sign-off before that kind of procedure moves forward, a sign-off from the highest levels of the Justice Department before any type of those, that, that type of surveillance can take okay, place. Okay, so two more quick things here. If the president doesn't get the changes he wants, would he veto this? We'd have to talk to the White House, but I think the president's been pretty clear. I mean, think about what the president's been put through, this whole Trump-Russia investigation baloney that started clear back before he was even elected, when they, as I said, went to the court and lied to the court, where they named the, the investigation Crossfire Hurricane, where he had the struck and page text message. So all he's been through, I think he clearly wants reform in the direction okay. I'm talking about and Republicans are talking about accomplishing. A last point on this. You're, you're hearing these reports about him cleaning house, trying to get the never-Trumpers out of his administration. What do you know about that? 
I think the president's entitled to have the people around him that he thinks will best accomplish the policies he campaigned on and that 63 million of us elected him to accomplish. I think that is entirely what the president wants to do, have those individuals in his administration who are going to work tirelessly to accomplish what we elected him to do when we gave him that electoral college landslide in 2016. So I am totally for the president having those individuals in place to get the policies done that the American people want. Now. Okay. Will the swamp push back? Of course. You try draining the swamp, the swamp's going to fight back. And we see that every single day with this president. But we want him to keep fighting, and that's exactly what he's going to do. There's some creatures in that swamp. Jim Jordan, thank you for your time. you got a deadline in three weeks. Thank you, sir, for your time today. You bet. Take care. So, yeah, they have a deadline. They're going to be doing patches. They are running alongside of them. While we have the Democrats trying to stupidly try to make us mandate to poison the government. Uh-uh. Oh poison the people that are the government because we are the government excuse i need to rephrase that sometimes um and make it clear now um you know what's incredible we have a lot going on outside of our borders that are affecting us and that something is what what I've been talking about, which is the, uh, you know, incoming World War Three. And this is a World War Three that has been not planned to happen now because they plan every war. When they wanted to take down Turkey, they would do it at their own time. And this is where. We're, you know, we see that our president's a great chess master. Take a listen to this that none of the news agencies told you about. The United States has been very clear. I've spoken about this as recently as yesterday on the unhelpful and escalatory nature of some of these Turkish actions. Um, but we'll have to wait and see exactly what Turkey is planning at this stage. And this is our representative in Greece, where they held a live fire drill after they, you know, closed this um, huge base deal. We are now in Greece. Um, the U.S.-Greece relationship is stronger than it has ever been. Our defense ties and our defense cooperation is an essential component of that. And what you are seeing today is an illustration of how our two countries working together with support from the Prime Minister, from Defense Minister Paniotopoulos, uh, from General Floros, are, are working together to enhance interoperability and to build the capacity of all of our forces. The United States really believes in the idea that Greece is a pillar of stability. It is a linchpin of our strategy for the larger region. I was very interested uh, to hear from General Kudras about the exercise last week and the involvement here not only of Greek forces but also of North Macedonia, of Albania, of Bulgaria, of Serbia. Greece plays a unique role um, in the Western Balkans as a stabilizing factor but also a strong NATO ally that's committed to our Euro-Atlantic community and is committed to working with us to help see all of these countries of the northern neighborhood uh, continue to move towards Europe, European reforms and, if they so choose, Euro-Atlantic institutions. Huh. Interesting, right? So this all happened just uh, two days ago. So that's number one. In the meantime, right, uh, we have, you know, 
islanders in Greece throwing a fit because the European Union has decided that they're going to be building new uh, migrant camps and they don't want them. And it is so bad that they have brought in riot police and they are clashing with the people of the islands. They don't want them there. They don't want them even near uh, their homes. They have Greeks have been literally displaced and they're tired of it. And so, you know, as they're building the residents, uh, you know, want the migrants to get off their islands. The man says, we, the residents of the village, will stand completely against this. And we've decided... He said, we've stand, we're not going back on this. It, who made the decision that the islands of northeastern Aegean are going to become a warehouse of souls? He says, the whole, you know, the whole population here has to resist. We shouldn't allow this. They should find other places. There are places you know, around Greece that can handle that population. Oh, and just so you know, these aren't dildo-waving people talking about a resistance. These aren't, you know, people that are confused as to do they want to work or not, or people that expect to be fed. These are pensioners. One dude talking and up in arms is 70 years old. He's got his cane. He's like, nah, man, this ain't happening. These are not your average paid protesters. I mean, there was a video that I tweeted out, and I'll put it on Facebook later on today, where they have, <laughs> literally, they're taking, they took over their farmland, and this guy came in and started to plow through where they had makeshift tents. So, you know, the migrants are no longer there plowing over, you know, their um their things. But one thing I noticed was that the children of these refugees and the Adults all spoke impeccable English. How bizarre. So they want these new camps in the islands of Samos, Lesbos, and Hios to be opened by mid-2020. That's pure insanity. They will not allow it. And, and you know, Heos, let me tell you something. So every single island has their story. I just, you know, Heos people are the people that walk around with blades. They're like known as the people that'll cut you, you know, kind of like Cretans are known to like carry around rifles all the time and just shooting in the air when they're happy. That's like their thing. That's like a cultural thing. This could get really, really bad if things aren't taken care of. They're just like, this is Turkey's plan. The European Union has decided to make us kneel so that they can come at us. Now, let me speak to you from a strategist perspective. If I wanted to eradicate the Muslim Brotherhood, I would indeed make it very enticing for Turkey to come at Greece, which means, yes, I would cause turmoil in the islands of the Aegean. So the Turks feel comfortable to come in and say, well, we're going to now drill here. We're going to now. And then the Greeks, knowing that this is done on purpose, that they're being suffocated and there's this turmoil, are relying in wait. So then when Turkey comes with their forces to Greece, then suddenly Russia's like, yo, you're getting out of, you know, Idlib. Like, 
today. And they're like, oh, well, we don't have forces going down there now. And their military is split. And then they lose. Because if they get attacked from their west, which is Greece, from the north, which is Russia, and then from the south, which is Syria and Russia, I mean, who are they going to rely on? Iran? So from a strategy perspective, and like I said, it's going to get kicked off by the north, sounds pretty interesting. Now, why do I say this? Because Turkey and Russia are literally on a collision course. They're fighting like the bombing has been relentless for three months now. Syria's northwestern Idlib province has been pummeled by President Bashar al-Assad's forces as he tries to recapture the territory from rebels. But in the last 48 hours, there's been a spike in hostilities. According to the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, the shelling has hit schools and hospitals. Dozens of civilians have been killed, among them children. The regime's fierce military campaign, backed by Russia, has sent nearly a million people fleeing from their homes in freezing temperatures. They burn their clothes to uh, to warm their kids. Uh, that, that, in other words, Idlib about to be the most catastrophic humanitarian situation in history. Uh, four million people with no future. Four million, four million people uh, going nowhere. Assad's uh, forces and Russians are close. That death is very close to them. Turkey is backing the rebels and demanding that Assad's forces pull back behind a line of its observation posts by the weekend, or he will force them one way or another. We will not take even the smallest step backwards in Idlib. We will certainly push the regime outside the borders we designated and ensure the return of the people to their homes. The borders we designate? Who are they to designate Syrian borders? The observation posts were set up as part of the 2018 Sochi deal, which agreed on a de-escalation zone. However, that's failed to stop Assad's advancing forces. I just wanted to say that during this meeting, in this meeting where they're showing Erdogan and Putin, Putin's wearing a BRICS lapel pin. As Turkish and Russian officials begin a third round of talks in Ankara aimed at reducing tensions in the region, tens of thousands of Syrian refugees continue their own fight just to survive. Evelyn Lavrik, Euronews. They really don't care about these people. Like, they are nothing but collateral damage that they welcome. The state of the uh, humanity that these people in charge have is so questionable that it can't even be nearly close to humanity, right? Everything's subjective to their goal, whatever that goal may be, which is ultimately taking down humanity, in all its essence. Now, we're seeing a lot of um, things going on. I just want to say more nefarious. And this goes to feed into episode four that I introduced in the third episode of the Subscribe Star show. We're going to be talking about the Luciferian Trust, also known as the Lucis Trust, uh, which is a nonprofit organization. Now, this nonprofit organization, believe it or not, has done something quite curious in the past couple days. Um, there is research being done now, okay, which is really bizarre, in North Carolina. 
there is a lab that is taking the coronavirus and what they want to do is they want to synthesize a sample of the coronavirus from its genetic code. You know, think about it. What can go wrong with manipulating genetic code, <clears throat> which is RNA, not really DNA, RNA, right, of a virus. So viruses, like I've explained to you, um, have a mutate, right? Um, mutate depending on host and then the transmitting. So let's say I get the coronavirus and I get version A, it goes into me, I cough, I get sick, whatever. And while I'm sick, I like totally cough in my hand or like I sneeze and I've got some booger on my pinky and then I go to open a door and I leave that booger there and then you touch it. When it comes to you, right? You're going to get version A that becomes version B because of you. This is how we get fast mutations in viruses. This is why vaccines for flus are obsolete, okay? So what's bizarre is that um, the Lucis Trust has, um, which is part of the Lucifer Publishing Company, the Lucis Publishing Company, anyway, they've actually backed this research to take this genetic code. I mean, <laughs> what could go wrong, Right. That's what people need to be aware of, that there is so much going on. Yet the Department of Justice relentlessly has been going after the Chinese, um, you know, in regards to technology, in regards to biotechnology, theft and everything. They're clamoring them, clamoring them. And, you know, we're, we're seeing so much happening on the front of pursuing the persons of intellectual property, but we're not seeing a lot of stymieing these nefarious nonprofit organizations, right? That are considered spiritual foundations that embrace the United Nations, you know, that um, sponsors things like UN, the WHO, Greenpeace, Amnesty, and UNICEF that are promoting alteration of the, um, material structure of this virus. And again, it's just a darn common cold. It's just the nippier one, I guess. And in China, they've had actually really bad cold weather. And don't forget that the majority of their population right now is elderly, so they're more vulnerable, hence why they die more. And don't forget 20% of the population in China, 20% of the world's population is located in China. So it's kind of like when you go for a sale, 10% on, you know, 10% off on $10 is, you know, like nothing. It's a dollar. But if you buy a hundred dollars you get ten dollars off what a steal so if one percent of your population when you have 300 million dies off it's this much when it's from china it's like a portion of the world so you know they're blowing this out of proportion to facilitate and create the soil for what's to come and now the pandemic the health is one of the biggest scares because we will not be able to point the finger now that they've opened up that pandora's box so that is terrifying they can try all they want, but we will succeed. The good always succeeds and wins and oversteps on darkness. But just imagine, they're willing to put themselves at risk to maintain power. That is how desperate they are. So you can just imagine what's to come. And hopefully throughout... Um, you know, my um, extended episodes, you can find out 
what it is exactly that they're hiding. They're hiding in plain sight, really. So it's not like they're really hiding, are they? That's the thing. How, how, where are we going? What are we seeing? Okay. So we're seeing that they're pushing this pandemic. We've already got a czar as they wanted czar, (laughs) which is Pence, but they're constantly pushing this. Like my feed on Twitter is just insanely pushing all these, oh my gosh, we're all going to die. Oh my gosh, we're getting the flu. And then on the, you know, on the off note, you're like Steven Seagal promoted, you know, some new Bitcoin and, you know, cryptocurrency and didn't state how much they paid him, which was a quarter million dollars to promote it. So he's getting fined and he's in trouble. Like, you know, this is what we're seeing. People call the Trump virus. Oh my God. How's he ever going to recover? Are you kidding? Like this is what we have. Customs, border and protection. That's going to be the topic of tomorrow. I mean, in the news and over the weekend. Border, border, border. And that includes south, airports, and whatnot. God bless everyone. I'll see you all tomorrow. Same time, same place. Only on Red State Talk Radio.